As we ring in the new year, Maybank Kimeng's research team digs deep to sift through the best themes that are on clients' minds. Many countries are escalating their fight against new waves of COVID-19 resurgence. Malaysia has just implemented Movement Control Order 2.0, so as a feature story, we ask our strategists if the economic cost of MCO 2.0 will be greater than the last one. Commodity prices have also been in focus, and like crude oil, Malaysia's palm oil prices have rallied since the third quarter of 2020. Will present tight supplies keep CPO prices at elevated levels? And when will the cycle reverse? Over in the Philippines, it was one of the hardest-hit economies last year. But we now see lots of evidence about its resilience, and it shows in the equity market's strong performance. One of the value plays that will stand out this year. And finally, with the growing trend of renewables and ESG investing, our Thai Utilities team will share in their top picks. So join us as we cross over now to our moderator and regional economist, Hak Bin. Good morning. Uh, it's Monday, 18 July. We have six speakers on the call today. So Jaime and Anna will be covering Malaysia's MCO strategy, cheating on the outlook uh, for palm oil, which, uh, where the prices have been on a bullish run, uh, Jack on Philippines equity strategy, Kaushal on Thai power sector, including the potential for renewables, so let's kick off first for uh, Suhaimi. Uh, Suhaimi, I think you just put up a report. So I guess what's your what's the assessment from your side on the impact from this MCO and state of emergency? And how does it compare to the MCO last year? Hi. Um, morning, everyone. Um, yeah. Um, the 2021 Malaysia's macro outlook, uh, I think, is in line with our view of it being a function of uh, pandemic policies and politics. Uh, COVID-19 third wave is stretching the healthcare system forcing the government to reintroduce movement control order or MCO, as well as the surprise announcements of emergency, uh, not surprisingly amid the political uncertainty. Um, I think to mitigate the economic impact, uh, government allowed five essential sectors to operate. These are uh, manufacturing, construction, services, trade and distribution, and plantation and commodities. Uh, with this, we estimated that uh, 78% of the economy is operational compared with 40 to 45% during the second half of March last year, which was the first two weeks of MCO 1.0, uh, which subsequently increased to around 52% in April 2020, which was the full month of uh, MCO 1.0. So with this, we estimated that the daily economic losses is smaller under MCO 2.0 at uh, between 0 0.7 billion to 1 billion ringgit per day, compared with uh, economic losses of between 1 billion to 1.5 billion ringgit per day during MCO uh, 1.0. Given that, we basically reiterate our uh, already conservative and cautious 2021 real GDP growth forecast of 5.1%, and this is uh, quite significantly below official forecast of 6.5% to 7.5%, as well as a consensus at the beginning of the year that was averaging around 6.8%. Uh, so, I mean, so is there a, do you think there should be more fiscal support, um, you know, given MCO? I think basically our view is the government should focus more on expediting implementation of existing uh, policies. We already have this set of, you know, accommodative monetary policy, expansionary fiscal policy and stimulus measures, rather than rushing into going and being long on announcing more measures. I mean, to recap, mm. 2021 budget deficit is already large, remain large. 
many economic stimulus measures in 2020 are rolled and extended on targeted basis into 2021. So we have all these wage subsidies, cash handouts to the low and middle income group. You've got the banking system uh, giving or providing targeted loan repayment moratorium and flexible loan repayments. There's lots of grants and funding schemes for micro enterprises and SMEs. Uh, job placement, training, reskilling and upskilling programs also are plenty. EPF withdrawals and lower workers EPF contribution. We also even have the extension of uh, second half 2020 sales tax incentives for car purchase into first half of this year. At the same time, we think some of the underutilized measures in last year's stimulus package, like the EPF Employers COVID-19 Assistance Program or ECAP, that was to defer, reschedule or restructure uh, employers' contributions can be revived. But in any case, I think if there is going to be any new extra spending uh, by the government uh, in terms of direct fiscal injection, that would likely come from COVID-19 fund, where there is a 10 billion ringgit still available. And just to recap, in December last year, COVID-19 fund size was approved by parliament to be increased from 45 billion to 65 billion ringgit. Uh, in 2020, 38 billion ringgit was spent under COVID-19 fund. For this year, 17 billion was allocated in budget 2021. So that gives you 55 billion uh, ringgit uh, utilized from the 65 billion uh, total fund size. Um, okay. I think executing the vaccination program scheduled to start uh, next month is also uh, going to be uh, very key. Uh, one thing I want to add here is the first policy event after the introduction of MCO and emergency is uh, Bank Negara's Monetary Policy Committee meeting on 19 and 20th January. We expect no change in uh, nominal OPR currently at a record low of 1.75%. And reason for calling this is uh, we see actually passive easing as real OPR will drop to minus 0.25% in 2021 from plus 2.75% in 2020. That is tantamount to a 300 basis point fall in real OPR this year against the uh, 10 basis point drop, drop in real OPR last year as we forecast inflation of 2% this year versus deflation of minus 1% last year. And we understand that real interest rate is also one of the factors that uh, uh, decide that can decide or determine uh, Bank Negara's uh, OPR policy. Okay, noted on your no call, no rate cut this Wednesday versus I think the consensus is expecting a rate cut. Um, just quickly as well, I wanted to un understand because of the state of emergency and there will be no parliament sitting, if there's a need for an extra budget, um, what's the process? I think uh, on the basis of this being an emergency, um, I, I would say any extra budget uh, can actually be uh, allowed by decree uh, or the, the issuance of an ordinance uh, by the king or whoever that is uh, granted the power to do so by the king. But eventually, this will have to be uh, ratified by parliament when parliament uh, reconvene. Thanks, Amy. Uh, let's follow up with Anand on the Malaysia strategy. I guess, Anand, the KLCI is starting the year on a weak note, I think the rising COVID cases and all the MCO. What are the risks to the market and earnings? Yeah, quite a, good morning, guys. Yeah, quite a reversal from last year when the KLCI was one of the better performing ASEAN benchmarks. If you look at our ASEAN Plus publication on Friday, uh, you can see uh, stats in there that show the KLCI is the worst performer uh, year to date. I mean, it's still up, but very marginally compared to the other ASEAN markets. And this is really down to two things, as you said. One is the uh, COVID-19 situation, which has you know, deteriorated, uh, resulting in renewed lockdowns. 
Uh, and the other is a political situation. So before the emergency was declared, there was a lot of concern that we would be heading into a snap election, which would be very disruptive, not just to the economy, uh, but also to the COVID-19 situation as well. So it seemed quite quite suicidal in a way to, to hold a snap election in this environment. So the markets were very uncertain. Uh, I think uh, you know, the impact on our earnings forecast, uh, and just to re- recap, we're looking at a 45% earnings growth for the KLCI this year. Obviously, some headwinds from the reimposition of lockdowns. Uh, we'll have to see how long these lockdowns will last. But I will stress that for the equities market, the underlying drivers uh, are still very much intact, still seeing very easy money. You know, as, as Suami just pointed out, negative real rates uh, this year. Uh, also, continued expansionary budget. Commodity price uh, rebound is proving to be stronger than we expected, which is good for Malaysia. Uh, and also, asset reallocation from fixed income to equities. We think the case there is still very strong, regardless of the headwinds from a renewed lockdown on equities. So, you know, I, I, I think uh, we remain quite constructive uh, on the equity market. What's your KLCI target uh, and preferred sectors uh, now for this year? And maybe you can remind yeah. us your top five stock picks. Yeah, we're looking at a 1830 target for the KLCI, which is based on 16 times forward earnings. Sounds chunky based on where we are, but actually it's just 11% upside. Uh, and it's 16 times uh, forward earnings is equal to the mean for the KLCI uh, over, the, uh, over the last 10 years. So not, you know, not uh, particularly aggressive. And that, you know, these kind of setbacks, lockdowns, uh, etc., are actually baked into our, our stock picks. You know, our stock picks are balanced, not bullish. So we have a, a good mix of yield uh, value as well as growth stocks. So how we are positioned is we, we, we continue to have that balanced portfolio going forward. So we like stuff like finance, uh, where we see good value in stocks like RHB and Allianz. Uh, also, we have growth. We have still the rubber glove stocks and like Partalega, uh, as well as uh, tech stocks like Inari, which are doing extremely well and are quite neutral to politics in, in Malaysia. Uh, we also have commodities like Yinsen uh, uh, and KLK. And some selective uh, yield value plays like MISC and also construction, Gamuda. That's how we would be positioned, a very balanced portfolio. Thanks, Anand. Um, let's move on to um, cheating, um, the plantations. So I think palm oil prices have really rallied strongly since the third quarter of last year. Uh, could you update us on you know, what are the drivers and your outlook for this year? So the world uh, faced a supply shock in uh, 2020 led by palm oil which was hurt by biological tree stress. Uh, at the same time, Lanina hurt the production of other oil seeds too uh, in the US and also the Black Sea region in the second half of last year. And this led to a tightening of the global stockpile towards end 2020, which resulted in palm oil and the other vegetable oils hitting multi-year high. For 2021, uh, we anticipate this year to be a year of production recovery for palm oil. Due to the recent rainfall brought around by La Nina and also a normalization of fertilizer application uh, aided by the uh, better CPO prices. But most of the recovery will be more apparent in the second half of this year on seasonality factor. Now, the low brought forward palm oil stockpile coupled with the current seasonally low output period uh, will help CPO price stay uh, lofty in the first quarter of this year, uh, the need to ration demand. And this is also due to the fact that no new all seed crops is coming into the market until South American harvest starts in um, March or April this year. But as uh, seasonally higher second half output for palm oil becomes more apparent, by mid-year, CPO price will have to come off as the present high 
uh, or rather the present price parity between CPO and US Orbit Oil is not sustainable. Uh, by then, uh, too, the world will have also a clearer picture of the U.S. soybean planting uh, in the Northern Hemisphere. Now, to sum it up, overall, uh, we expect 2021 to be a better year than 2020, and we remain positive on the sector, especially in the first quarter of this year. Uh, ongoing weather concerns presents upside risk to our 2,500 ringgit per tonne CPO price assumption for this year, and uh, upcoming February results season should help fill more interest in the sector. Remind us on your top plantation picks. So in general, we prefer the small to mid caps as their earnings will benefit the most from a CPO price recovery. And our regional top are small to mid cap buyers are first resources, uh, Sarah Oil Palms and Boston Plantation. For large cap, uh, we like uh, KL Kabong. Just on a on a um, export and production, uh, versus Indonesia versus the Malaysian plantation, which one is affected more by the by the weather? And they said all the disruptions, the supplies, and so on. And which one would do better? Uh, so the new Indonesia tax structure is a very unique. Uh, it, it's become very punitive for the upstream players in Indonesia, whereby the current export duty plus export levy almost equals to 30, 300 US dollars per ton, 299 to be exact. So uh, the net proceeds for the Indonesia plantation, upstream plantation companies. Uh, it's approximately 2,900 ringgit equivalent uh, today versus spot is closer to about uh, 3,900 ringgit per ton. So it's very damaging for upstream. But of course, overall net net proceeds compared to a year ago is still higher. But this works to benefit the downstream players in Indonesia because uh, they, can, they actually have a preferential duty uh, when it comes to export of uh, refined palm oil. So to, this is one of the biggest issues I think will, the industry will face, especially in Malaysia, because uh, overnight the uh, downstream players in Malaysia have lost their price competitiveness vis-a-vis the Indonesia downstream refiners. So we expect Indonesia to be gaining market share uh, in the international market for the refined products. Bear in mind that both Malaysia and Indonesia, I think, over easily, easily over 70-80% of their total exports the last few years has been in the form of refine. So the worry is that uh, you know Indonesia will sell and faster and gain market share compared to the Malaysia downstream players. Thanks. Interesting. Uh, let's move on to Philippine strategy, Jackie. So I think the Philippines economy was one of the hardest hit last year and endured one of the strictest lockdowns as well, probably the strictest in ASEAN. Uh, but markets have recovered quite strongly. Um, so I think for this year, what are your, what's your market outlook and key drivers and your preferred sectors? Hi, good good morning, everybody. Um, so for the Philippines, uh, we have set our PSEI target at 7650. Uh, we are positive but selective on the market. Um, we expect momentum um, from the positive earnings trajectory in 3Q20 last year uh, to continue to 2021. Uh, we are forecasting a 37% earnings growth uh, for this year. Bulk of this growth is going to come from the property and consumer sectors, both of which are driven by the further reopening of the economy and further easing of the lockdown measures, um, especially since the number of daily cases are kept at bay and there is increasing visibility on the vaccine procurement initiatives, both from the private and uh, public sector. However, um, a second wave-induced lockdown remains to be a key risk, um, especially now that we have recorded our first case of the B117 strain in the country. 
Uh, nevertheless, the government response has been more proactive in terms of contact tracing, quarantining measures for the patient, and travel bans. And the vaccine procurement initiatives, as I mentioned, both from the private and public sector have been very proactive as well, providing a degree of, um, of um, mitigation to further second wave risks. With this, um, for 2021, I, uh, we still uh, believe in a balancing act um, in terms of positioning for the Philippines. We recommend a foundation of staples and at-home-based consumption-driven names, but also um, recommend beginning adding some recovery plays. So we like, um, for the staples play, we like URC and Century Pacific. And for the recovery plays, we like conglomerate Ayala Corp, property company um, Robertson's Land, and the home improvement retailer All Home. Yeah, I think the corporate income tax has been cut, right, this year from the 30% to 25%, and even by more for smaller companies all the way to 20%. So I was wondering for your earnings growth, you know, how much is the tax cut a contributing factor, and which sectors would benefit the most from this corporate income tax cut? Yes, okay, so the CREATE Act, um, which is basically the bill that uh, recommends cutting the corporate income tax from 30% to 25%, is still with the bicameral committee. But if it does pass, um, we are looking at a 5% um, uplift um, to our earnings forecast for the market. That, that translates to a PSEI target of 8,056. Mostly benefits companies which are predominantly domestic driven. Um, so we are looking at property names definitely for that one and consumer names as well. Kashal um, uh, has uh, initiated a pretty big uh, report on the Thailand power sector. I think we have a pretty bullish outlook. So Kasha, what are the deep drivers and uh, and why the bullish uh, outlook? Hey, good morning, Hakbin. Well, at, at first glance, Thailand's power sector, you know, does not look very attractive just given the excess capacity. But don't let that scare you. Uh, there are a couple of positive themes and trends that I'm seeing uh, that are quite interesting. So the first theme, uh, you know, with the market having already rallied on growth expectations, I think at some point the focus will shift to earnings and cash flow visibility. And just by its nature, the power sector stands out given its you know, future committed capacity. Uh, the second theme that I'm seeing is you know, Thailand's power players are really well positioned to leverage on the strong growth opportunity in Southeast Asian power markets. Uh, IEA estimates Southeast Asia electricity demand to grow at a CAGR of 5 to 6% in the next 10 years. And renewables play a critical role in meeting this demand. As technology costs drop, governments raise renewables as a of the energy mix to meet the climate goals and overall, you know, just to fight urban pollution because, you know, this is becoming a big problem in this region. Uh, persistently low interest rates also further support, you know, growth financing. So just to give you some flavor, uh, in the last three years, around 66% of the capacity additions within my coverage have come from outside of Thailand. Uh, and I think this will continue moving forward. Uh, you know, Thailand is a relatively mature market, and most of the players have a recently uh, have a pretty good track record of investing within the region. Uh, I see lots of opportunities in Laos, Vietnam, Indonesia, and India. Uh, in Vietnam, uh, the solar capacity makes up around two to three percent, and by 2030, they want to raise it 21 percent. So, you know, they see they see a lot of potential on that on that front. Laos wants to become the battery of Asia. Uh, you know, they, they have a lot of de development plans already in this, and we should see a lot of projects in the next couple of years. Uh, they want to around maybe four times the current uh, electricity. They want to build it up. So lots of potential even on that front. And Japan is also interesting because just recently the energy minister had proposed that they want to raise the renewable 
uh, energy mix to around 40 percent by 2030. And currently, the target is around 25 percent. So lots, lots of potential uh, in the region. The third theme is, you know, there's a strong correlation between economic growth and electricity demand. Uh, we expect Thailand's economy to bounce back around 5% this year. Electricity demand will follow. Uh, we should especially see strong recovery in the industrial user segment. Another supporting driver is that, you know, we expect the small power producers where industrial users are off takers to see a margin expansion uh, given the pricing structure. So gas prices are expected to drop 8% year on year, while average tariffs will remain stable. Uh, we won't see this for the IPPs, you know, which are the bigger power, player, power plants, since they have a, uh, they have a fuel pass-through mechanism. The fourth theme is the government is likely to offer replacements for any of the SPP PPAs that are going to, that are going to expire. The reason is that the SPPs are mostly located and in, at industrial estates, and the government will want to minimize any disruption. And the last theme is that the government is liberalizing the gas market and offering LNG shipping license to a lot of the power producers. So effectively, the power producers supply some of the gas needs through LNG. The assumption is that the long LNG contracts are around $1 to $2 per MMBT, cheaper than what PTT, which is the main supplier, is offering. And this will be supported to margins. Uh, LNG shipping license is still at the pilot stage, but I expect this to expand in the future. Uh, I would like to note that the recent surge in spot LNG prices has taken the market by surprise, but I believe that this is only temporary and should ease this year. The dynamic between long-term LNG contract prices and PTT should revert to the historic levels. So a lot of positive factors. I think you know, uh, market is not completely appreciating these factors, and so you know, I remain quite positive. Kasha, so um, yeah, I noticed that renewables um, ETFs have uh, gone through the roof right over the last year. Some are up hundred to hundred fifty percent. Um, so I was wondering, you know, in your conversation with the, with the clients and in terms of the interest, there seems to be an old economy, power sector, and a new, you know, new renewables economy sector. Do, do you see a, a different interest and different flows going to, to, to you know, the two different types? Um, what, what's your sense on the, on the interest as, and whether you know, all this Biden administration move towards uh, you know, renewables will actually benefit all the way here to, uh, to ASEAN? Most definitely. So whenever I speak to clients, you know, they, there is definitely a lot of interest in the renewable space. And I think part of it, just given the backdrop, you know, you have the ESG trend picking up, you have, uh, you know, the climate change uh, sort of theme that's sort of, you know, really, uh, it's, it's really, uh, you know, coming to the awareness. So there's a lot of interest on that front. And I think part of the reason is because uh, there's such a long runway of growth for renewables. And, uh, you know, a lot of the governments are going to sort of, uh, make their policies, you know, much, much more favorable towards renewables just because they have set such ambitious targets. Uh, as you may know, you know, China, South Korea, Japan have set uh, net carbon uh, sort of targets by 2050, 2060. So definitely a lot of interest on that front. I think conventional power, it is, you know, it is, it's a solid space, but I think, you know, it's just not as exciting. It's not as, you know, sexy as, as renewable energy. So Definitely uh, much more interest on that front. Uh, in terms of whether Biden's sort of, uh, you know, his sort of proposal and his plan will affect Asia, I think it'll, it'll probably have a bigger impact on some of the manufacturers of, you know, of solar panels, of, uh, you know, some of the other sort of, uh, you know, uh, renewable energy sources, just because uh, U.S. is not really a big manufacturer of renewable energy. And, you know, given its big, uh, given its big plan, I think it will need to source or it would need to sort of raise its manufacturing capacity to meet 
its uh, you know high demand needs. So that could potentially be one of the you know one of the impacts.